we were always told Motor was the day when the river ran red, where the river ran red with the blood of father against son, brother against sister, where we fought against ourselves. I found in my life that Ingatū was that Takoti was a complex person, a man of forgiveness, but he was also a man that bewildered the state. He was both revered and reviled. Wars are about politicians. Soldiers fight wars and are deployed to wars by politicians. They don't necessarily hate the hoariri, they don't necessarily hate the enemy, but they fight the enemy because it's, if you don't fight them and shoot them first, they're likely to shoot you. So it's, it's kind of like a professional exchange. And so the Africa Corps always had a, um, a abiding respect for the New Zealand Division and a particular uh, respect for the 28th Māori Battalion. Che Wilson, Hardy Williams, Sir Wira Gardner and Harawira Peerless on the history of the New Zealand land wars and the involvement of Māori in both the First and Second World Wars. To wrap up this series, Te Pūtake o Teriri, Perspectives of War and Conflict, Buddy Mikaire talks about the Battle of Gate Pa. The machinations of settler land greed and colonial politics, uh, and you know, confidently riding on the back of relatively easy victories in the, in the, in the wake of the fighting, um, they thought this was the way to go. So for, uh, for us, for Tauranga Māori, with our homes invaded by this army that turned up from nowhere, and which we've never seen the like of before, um, we left with little choice but to fight. Author, cultural advisor and environmental consultant Buddy McKayde was at the helm of the 150th commemorations of the Battle of Gate Pa in 2014. The day was organised by the Pukehinehina Charitable Trust. Events held included a mass haka piru-piru performed by local iwi, a poetry competition, an arts exhibition and the unveiling of carved po at the battle site. At a New Zealand land war symposium hosted by Whakatane-based tertiary institution, Te Wharewānanga o Awanuiārangi, Buddy talked about the history of the battle and the logistics involved to commemorate the event back in 2014. But the sole reason why they hosted a large-scale commemorative week was so that more people would know about it. For Buddy, however, the Battle of Gate Power was told to him through a school classroom reenactment. Um, I grew up in, uh, in rural Waikato, a little place called Woolstown, which is uh, between Potaruru and Tokoro. Um, my father was working in the sawmills there. And uh, our whānau has two homes. One is in, in Hauraki at, at uh, Manaya. The other one is in, is in Tauranga. So me, most weekends we went back to Tauranga to see all our, all our whānau over there. And so the school that I went to in, um, in Litchfield, which is where the cheese factory is now, um, <clears throat> one year they decided that they would go to Tauranga. One of the things they went to find out about 
was what happened at that Pukehini you know, Gate Bar. And then when they came back, they had a recreation of the battle on the rugby field. And so the version that I got through that was uh, in our par, built from all the firewood out of the woodshed. Um, all us Māori people were to die bravely, all you know, around a dead bull line somewhere, and the Pākehās would march around, you know, winners. So I thought that was how it was, right up until I went, went back to, we went back to Tauranga, I went to college, and somewhere in this crowd here, there's, there's this Māori boy in short pants. <laughs> this is from um, the 100th um, commemoration of the battle. And it was, I, I mean, I cannot remember for the life of me what was said that day. I do remember that the sailors we were standing beside, um, two of them fainted because it was uh, quite a long afternoon. I'm just amazed how they fell over without falling on their bayonets. That's about the only thing I can remember about that. But I do remember um, an abiding curiosity to find out what really happened on that day in 1864. And it's kind of something which has haunted me all my life. When I moved back to Tauranga in 2011, one of the things on my to-do list was when the 150th anniversary comes in 2014, we're going to mark that and I'm going to put all I can into making sure that that happens. So on the 29th of April 1864, about 200 Māori uh, faced off against 1,700 Pākehā on a grassy hillside just outside Tauranga. And the intention was, from the Māori side anyway, to fully destroy those people. Uh, but the fight that followed um, is largely remembered as a Māori victory, even though during the night they abandoned the battlefield. And it's also remembered for being one of the worst reverses ever suffered by an imperial force at the hands of natives in the entire history of the British Empire. So the Pākehā army that turned up that day... Uh, was made up of a mix of soldiers and sailors and marines um, backed by what, what at that time was the biggest artillery um, battery that they'd ever assembled in colonial New Zealand. Um, the soldiers were mostly veterans of uh, Crimea and the Indian campaigns, so um, <clears throat> they'd come here on ships um, directly from those battlefields. Um, and they were backed up by the marines and sailors from the warships that, that brought them here. This mixed force of British uh, troops was backed up by a reserve force of some 600, uh, what was called the, the Waikato Militia. Um, the militia had in its ranks uh, both locals and a lot of recruits from Australia, um, drawn to New Zealand by promises of land in return for military service. So when the battle was over on the following morning, um, there were 111 British dead and wounded, and on the Māori side, estimated about 20 Māori had been killed and an unknown number wounded, because during the night they took as many of them as they could away with them. So as uh, Wira and uh, Harawira were saying, in New Zealand, um, this small piece of our history is not particularly well known. The school curricula for many generations have not been too fussed about New Zealand history, but I think that it's changing. It's a shame that never happened before because it means that many opportunities have been missed by us to ask ourselves questions like, well, you know, what lessons can we learn today from the events on that rainy afternoon in 1864 and what happened after? So, uh, largely driven by the revival, I think, of Anzac Day remembrances, 
Um, I believe our attitudes to our past wars have changed dramatically, and you can see that in Tauranga. Every year the Anzac Dawn service, the Māori one anyway, circulates around the various marae, and since 2014, the last three um, Anzac uh, Dawn services, uh, they've all started with a tribute to this pakanga here, Pukahinehina, which is something which never happened before as far as I can remember. Um, you know, when I was a kid growing up, the war dead were remembered as uh, noble and glorious heroes who laid down their lives to preserve our freedom, and that's true. But I think it's just overcoming a subtle change, and what we're seeing now is you know, there's this, this increasingly sobering sadness <coughs> at the waste of millions of lives and a bitter resentment that our blind loyalty to the inept leadership that threw all those young lives away, this is the price we've paid. And we only need to look at the commemorations for Passchendaele to see a prime example of this shift in our thinking. So on a much smaller scale, it's the same with Cape Power. There's no glorious victory to celebrate, but there is a sadness derived from you know, our reflection and hindsight and regret that no one in Tauranga on either side saw the opportunity to broker a resolution that did not involve fighting. But we all know that by 1864 the die was well cast, eh? so largely through um, the machinations of settler land greed and colonial politics, uh, and you know, confidently riding on the back of relatively easy victories in the in the in the wake of the fighting, um, they thought this was the way to go. So for uh, for us, for Tauranga Māori, with our homes invaded by this army that turned up from nowhere, and which we've never seen the like of before, um, we left with little choice but to fight. So why should this battle, you know, something uh, relatively small fray in the affairs of the empire, be of such importance? And why should the battle be regarded as something other than a brief engagement on a muddy afternoon? You know, while the, while the British troops ended up being in charge of the battle uh, on the day after the fight, there's nothing in their reports or in their uh, demeanour to suggest they saw themselves as victors. They clearly saw Pukehinehina as a defeat, but in the shock of that defeat, there was a legend born about the conduct of the Māori participants, so much so that in subsequent years, um, the aftermath of the battle <coughs> was thought by Pākehā to be worth remembering, even in some cases celebration. <coughs> and a lot of it you can put down to this man, uh, Henare Taratoa from Ngāti Raukawa, uh, who was a Christian convert, um, was down in Otaki with uh, Octavius Hadfield, came back to uh, Tauranga, and he was largely responsible for formulating something called the Code of Conduct, which was contained in a letter that was sent to the British commander saying, this is how we intend to conduct the fight that's coming. People who surrender will be treated um, with care and respect. We will not attack women and children. If a soldier being carried away by his fears runs to the the house of the priest, um, we will not go there. He will be safe. Um, And then it finished with the the biblical quotation, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. This was something I think that Victorian um, uh, Pākehā saw as being something rather special because up until then they'd, they'd been fighting against 
people who had no hesitation in cutting off the heads of the dead or the wounded um, and treating them uh, um, in a uh, savage fashion. They might cut their testicles off and things like that, but there was nothing of that in Gate Park. So they came to admire this greatly. And so this is, this is from the stained glass window that you'll find in Litchfield Cathedral in England if you go there, and it commemorates... Um, that taking of water to the wounded. During the night, one of the officers, um, Colonel Booth, was shot and wounded, was lying out on the battlefield calling for water, and someone from the park went out and took some to him. Uh, other stories say it was a woman, Hene uh, Te Um Others say, no, no, it was, was, was our tupuna. Um, so I'm not going to go to that battle because we can be there forever. We'll just say somebody, <laughs> somebody did this. On the night before the battle uh, in uh, 1864, uh, the local um, missionary, Archdeacon Brown, he had a dinner at the, uh, what they call the Elms, which is the, um, the mission station in Tauranga. So he had a dinner for all the, all the visiting officers from the army and from the navy. I think he got uh, 10 of them turned up uh, for this dinner, and the next day nine of them were dead. So... Um, we decided that we would have a commemoration dinner as well, uh, but it was very, very, very successful and very well attended, as you can guess when one of our guest speakers is uh, Willie Apiata VC. These two ladies here came from England. Their ancestor also fought at Gate Pa and won the Victoria Cross there for um, dragging away one of his um, uh, fellow sailors who'd been wounded. So very much in the way that Willie earned his VC, um, the ancestor of these ladies did the same thing, Midshipman um, Mitchell. So it was quite a nice, uh, you know, juxtaposition. In 2014, the 150th commemorations were held over a week and culminated in the unveiling of the Po carved poles alongside the battle site and wreath-laying ceremonies at the Elms Mission House. So we put together the Pukehinehina Charitable Trust um, and they were the group responsible for most of the organising of what happened. And we started with the battle site itself by uh, coming up with a plan of how we could revamp that whole reserve. There'd already been some work done on there. They'd put up some, some little storyboards, but as you can see, the path wasn't complete. It didn't go up to the top. Up the top here... Um, is St George's Church, which is, I think, the third church to be built on that site. Um, the, the green line you can see running through there is roughly uh, where goes right through where the trenches were. Uh, that's Cameron Road to the left. It's common with many of the battle sites in the North Island in that once the fighting was over, the first thing Parker did was put a highway through the middle of the park. So it's never going to be a par ever again. So that's exactly what happened here at Gay Par. It's what happened at Warako. If you go to, go to Rangariri and the Waikato, it's the same thing happened there. Put the highway right through the middle, right? So the main trenches would have been where the highway is now. So we're on, the, we're on this end of the par. We believed it was important to have a sight line to our, our maunga, which is Mawao. If you know Tauranga, you'll know it sits at the entrance to the harbour. We needed to see this. But in the time that I was there in 1860, uh, 1964 to today, all these trees had been planted. So all the yellow ones are doomed to go, and so they did. 
Um, so so those trees that went down, so we got some of our carvers onto it and that's what they turned them into. Once we got started with the project, the thing was to try and get as much as much of the work done by people from the community. So we got all the concrete for nothing from, uh, from one of the local firms. We got a whole lot of workers from uh, some of the construction firms to come and um, put up the PO, for example, which is what these fellows here are doing. Amazing, you know, when they dug down for that flagpole, his musket balls and those little white clay pipes that, um, that people smoked in those days, um, little bits of glass and uh, buttons and things like that. I mean, it's it just amazing the richness of things just lying there under the ground. And we wanted to make sure that people going past the site in the future would know what it was. So we put in, a, uh, I think, eight po along there. Involving the community was important to us, and we had all sorts of people come out of the woodwork to say, how can I help? What can I do? Um, and so we had uh, one elderly chap whose speciality was building model soldiers. So he built this huge model of the, uh, the entire battlefield, um, which we then placed in the airport terminal at Tauranga so that people in coming, coming and going uh, would see that and that way we could uh, help publicise the event. This is the flag from Pukahinehina. I'll tell you a little story about this flag. Uh, first of all, we got about 100 made and I think they sold in the first week so we had to get another 100 made. Everybody wanted one. So in our marae, which is Hudia um, in, in Tauranga, um, on our first uh, Anzac Day after the commemoration, so we were proudly flying our flag and I'd invited um, the Greek, em the, sorry, the Turkish embassy to send someone to uh, give a cordial um, on Anzac morning. And so they uh, put me in touch with Ali, and Ali runs one of the local kebab shops. <laughs> Ali and his sister and two brothers, they all turned up at, at the marae in the morning. It was still dark, but he's he was running around. I said, what's the matter, Ali? And he said, oh, buddy, buddy, you fellas have got the wrong flag up. That's not the Turkish flag. <laughs> so he said, no, it's not Ali. That's our flag. <laughs> he said, oh, oh, thank goodness for that. He said, you know, what can I do to fix it? And I said, um, no, don't worry about it. You know, th this is the start of a new relationship between us and you, Ali. He's going, well, how does that work? And I said, well, when you see a Māori person come into your shop, you say, kia ora, haramai, cheap kebabs. <laughs> so, but, you know, it is that kind of building relationships in the community, even with the most unlikely people. You know, they all have something to contribute. As far as, um, you know, the wider community, there's not just dealing with pakehi with adults. Uh, do something for the kids, so... Um, this lady here who lives at Matapihi, she was quite happy to do a, do a book for children um, on the battle, which um, then she went around to every school around, um, uh, I think, within a 10-mile radius of Pukahinina and gave readings to all the, all the kids from, from her book. Uh, we had an art contest um, for, senior, well, for the whole community. We had a senior competition in a, a secondary school uh, competition. These are the two girls who won the um, secondary school competition with um, this painting here, which is a combination, or you can see it's um, the Pākehā side of it is, is General Duncan Cameron, who led the troops at, um, at Pukahinehina. 
And uh, I think they said Hori Natai, who was one of the chiefs um, who took part in the battle. But um, this was clearly the winner. It was just excellent. We also had a, a poetry competition, again, for adults and for um, um, school kids. Uh, we got the Poet Laureate at the time, Vince O'Sullivan, to come up and judge it. Um, so he was happy to do that. While he was there, we got him to read some of his own stuff as well and uh, put on a bit of an, a bit of, a bit of an event for uh, Tauranga. But once again, it's just another way of sucking in the community so that there's something there for everybody. stars that shine at night. Do not stand at my grave and cry. I am not there. I did not die. Our first wreath, the British Army wreaths, both memorials, Major General Cullen and Lieutenant Colonel Tim Woodman. The big day for us was the 29th of April, obviously. We started with a memorial service at dawn in the cemetery where um, most of the British casualties were buried. There's also uh, a portion of the grave of the um, Urupa where the uh, unknown Māori were buried. So we started with a, with a service at that point. Again, I was just overwhelmed by the number of people who turned up trying to crowd into this little Urupa. Um, but somehow we fitted them all in. Um, one of the things we, we asked the army for, and which they, they gave us, was a New Zealand army band. The fourth wreath by representatives from Pukeraki, Taratoa, and Natai Whanau on the Tupuna memorials. So we had various events involving the, the army band. They, um, they gave a concert in the middle of town. Um, they played at the dawn service. They played at the dinner the night before. And then on the day, they uh, were the band that uh, took part in the recreation of the Army's march up Cameron Road to Pukehenehene. This was a huge event for... Um, our Kapahaka people, um, so much so that they started training, I think, a, a, a year out from the actual day. Um, they composed uh, their own uh, haka and waiata for, for this. Um, we had seen previously what had happened um, over in Tainui. They said, we want to put on a thousand-person haka and I said, yeah, well, I've got funding for, to feed 500. I'm not Jesus. I can't give out some small loaves and fishes. 
So I said, oh, no, no, don't worry, Matua, we'll, 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 we'll house them, we'll feed them. I said, oh, well, that's good, away you go. Um, so this was the Waini uh, Toa and um, our haka group. Um, the muskets that they're, they're holding, they're tūpara, so they're actually um, double-barrel shotguns. Um, and so we managed to get hold of the um, original specs for those weapons, and... Um, they're an English design, but they're made in Italy. Um, so they were um, quite expensive to, to get. These boys, I mean, I had to number them all and count them every night because I'm sure that otherwise they would have disappeared into somebody's wardrobe. So, um, uh, but they, they, um, they said, you know, when you get this thing in your hand, you feel that there's a connection between you and our tūpuna and how they must have felt. So there's... They're standing there on the hill watching um, the parade coming towards them and um, some of them got quite emotionally involved in that whole thing. It was quite something to see. I, I, I mean, I've never seen people so emotionally affected by something. So apart from, apart from all the Tauranga Moana uh, haka people, we also had a, um, uh, a contingent from uh, Tainui, there's a bit of check going backwards and forwards because if you have a look at the original map of the PAR, you'll see there's the main PAR and there's a little one off to the side and there's a gap in between and uh, the corridor from the Tauranga side is that the gap was where Tainui was supposed to go but they never turned up. So, um, so when they came this day, they said, oh, you fellas are here, can't play. <laughs> bit late but never mind. <laughs> you know, when I... I look back over all those events um, it, it makes me think about uh, my ancestors uh, my great great grandfather was at Gate Park with his, um, with his musket his children that's my great grandfather and, and his children again that's my grandfather's generation so they were all raised post what happened at Gate Park most of you probably know that as a result of Gate Park uh, and what happened afterwards at Taranga where um, Māori suffered a heavy defeat. The Crown then introduced the, uh, the, brought into effect the Native Land Settlement Act of 1863, which confiscated uh, Māori land as punishment for rebellion. So our ancestors were turned to be rebels. In rebellion, your land is confiscated. And it's our hapu, uh, which is um, the hapu that has in their rule here the main Te Papa Peninsula at Tauranga. We're the ones that lost all our land, so that's something like 50,000 acres um, gone. We more or less got pushed to the outskirts of Tauranga. Um, there's lots of stories about those Pākehā families who knew that we weren't supposed to be there but let us carry on uh, gardening. We would always garden, running our gardens, because we just had no land uh, whatsoever. So my grandfather and his uh, generation... Poorly educated, living in, um, living in shacks in the ground, um, feeding themselves from their own gardens and what they could get from the bush and uh, from the beach, um, suffering from health problems, little or no access to medical facilities. Uh, we, we all know these stories. It's just a life of grinding poverty, right? The thing that I think about is what my grandfather and his, his relations, what they, what they lacked was the opportunity because they didn't have land, 
They didn't have a presence. They didn't have opportunity. And so um, having large families just became a way of life because the more hands you had, uh, the more workers you had to, uh, to uh, look after all the um, kaimara and um, go and gather kai. So for, for my whānau, it's been, well, we're four generations now from the time of Pukaini, you know? um, but we've been subject to that same social, uh, arrested social and economic development of many other uh, Tauranga Moana families. And when we remember Gate Pa, while we remember some of the detail of what happened, it's actually what, what happened after to us that's the thing that everybody um, keeps in their mind. When I was a kid, you know, was, there was a clear hierarchy of Tauranga families, whether they be Pākehā or Māori. You know, there were old families who'd been there forever, knew the stories, knew the history, got on OK, um, not brilliantly, but got on OK. But in the last 30 years, we've seen this influx of people from outside Tauranga who have no idea about our history, no idea about our heritage, don't care and don't know. They're the ones who've come in and they're the ones that a lot of our, a lot of this was aimed at, you know. So if you want to belong here and be part of us, you have to know this story. Um, and so that, that's why the, the effort, I think, that's gone into it has been good. I can remember one letter to the editor saying, this is the most horrendous waste of money I've ever seen. Why do we need, need parades? Why do we need these new popes? Why do we need musicians coming in to play music? Blah, 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 blah. Um, fortunately, those people were in the minority, and I think what happened and the universal support that the community gave to this event shut those people up. One of them wrote into the paper the other day saying, I can't stand Tauranga anymore. There's a small minority of 15% of the population is running everything in the city. I am migrating overseas. So I wrote a reply. I was tempted to put good riddance. <laughs> but I just thought, this is really sad, you know. You've lived here 80 years of your life and you've not learnt <laughs> that, you know, we share this land. This is, this is ours together, not you and us. Anyway, I must have been having a nice day that day. <laughs> so, you know, I think that uh, in the second de decade of the 21st century, we and our children live in times of national and global uncertainty. It's this fostering of social unity and a sense of unity, uh, community and mutual support that I think will get us through. In short, you know, I think we actually need each other and the story of Pukahinehina Gate Park provides our community with a perfect opportunity every year to remember that and do something about it. Kia ora. Kia ora, Buddy Mackay that was recorded at a New Zealand Landwall Symposium hosted by Te Whare Wānanga o Awanui Arangi.